1: All right, it's that time. Part two of our podcast with Andy Parker, chief barrel herder of Avery Brewing Company out of Boulder, Colorado. We've already had a few of his terrific beers here in front of us. Happy to have him back. Um, Let's just dive in. We have so much to get to. Yeah, we do. Let's just bring Andy in. Andy, are you still with us?
2: Oh, hey.
1: Hey. Andy also has every single beer that we have, I believe. And I think you Mm -hmm. you opened all of them from the beginning just to be able to rapid respond to what we're doing. Yeah, it was a great. Sometimes
2: you got to be sure about what you're talking about. (laughs) Exactly. It was a great
3: excuse. I mean, reason to bring home beers from work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is known as quality control, people.
1: Absolutely. And you're kind (laughs) enough to send us uh, so many beers. And then you also sent us some volume too. That's what we oh, have yeah. open right now. Very nice oh, of you. It's
2: great in combination with high-alcohol beers. <laughs> totally.
1: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm only kidding because we have Valum, which is uh, a terrific sour beer. I see on the label there's some, some grape must added to this beer, but I, maybe in the email that we Jane, we had going, did you, did you mention that this is a spontaneous ferment, or am I getting that wrong?
2: No, it actually is. This one is 100% spontaneously fermented and soured. Uh, This was the second time we did this experiment. We put out two totally spontaneously fermented grape-beer hybrids, I I guess is a good way to put it,
3: Mm
2: -hmm. uh, where we partnered with a local winery because while Colorado doesn't have quite the pedigree of wine that California has, for example, we do have a pretty robust uh, wine industry over on the western slope. So it just so happens that there's a local uh, winery here named Bookcliffe, and at the Old Avery location, um, the head winemaker there actually started the winery in his basement in his house about a mile from the brewery and we became friends with him so as he grew and we grew and then I was like hey let's do fun stuff so we did a couple of whi- great beer hybrids over the years where we added our own Saccharomyces strains and Brettanomyces strains and tried to go to town with those and most of them have been bottled actually most of them actually worked out but we'd always kind of suspected like well, we're getting flavors in here that we did not normally anticipate from the yeast and bacteria that we threw in. So a couple of years ago, we decided to do an experiment. We're like, we're just going to get a bunch of red grapes from him. We'll have him partially press them. We'll put the juice into the, or we'll shovel, hand shovel the grapes into the tank, put the juice into the tank, make wort, put it in, and let it roll. Wow. And see how it'll go. And uh, the first result of that was spontanea, which is a little. 150 case run we did a few years ago and Valum is the second one in that in that totally spontaneous series where Spontanea that fermented all the way but didn't necessarily go sour and Vallum is definitely sour. It did all the things and it is one of those things where we hand shoveled it, put the grape juice in and we did not add any yeast, any bacteria fermented it in a steel tank and then just to see what the hell would happen because we honestly didn't know what we were doing we're like well let's put it into neutral barrels for a while and see how it goes. And so I think we picked up a little acetic acid in the long run and all the bacteria that was hanging out in there. It just had a happy place to be for about nine months while it aged along.
1: Yeah, it's extremely well balanced for being, you know, yeah. a, a beer that just had, you know, it's just, just what's on the grapes and go, mm-hmm. gone from there. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible to just kind of, you know, take, take a shot in the dark and hit a bullseye just like that. This beer is really good. It is a great grape character, too.
2: Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Like when we started this, it was like, yep, we fully knew going in. Hey, maybe we'll have to dump it. Fair enough. Um, but that's that's you know half the fun of being a brewery that does a lot of experimental stuff. And when it turned out for the second time in a row and a spontaneous fermentation worked, it was like, wow, bullseye. I love this beer. but Could I recreate it? No. Mm-hmm. That, that there's there, there are too many things in play. You know, we're certainly not a. a belgian spontaneous lambic producer that has done this for 200 years you know we're, we're kind of winging it and a lot of these experiments it's like well it might work and it might not and i think this one worked
3: it, it did and the uh the grape flavor especially you know i hate uh, the artificial grape flavoring like grape flavored yeah. anything mm-hmm. uh it always has it's its own thing you know and this has a um, great grape character but it's it's like real grapes. I don't know. That sounds ridiculous, but it it just tastes so good. I don't no, know. Like else actually
2: to say, no, eating I mean, real we, grapes. Yeah. We did hand shovel them in the tank, and the entire fermentation happened on those, like on those grapes. So. Hopefully a trail. Otherwise, something went really
3: messed up. <laughs> well, I love the description of it, too. It's uh, the wild, on the bottle here, the wild yeast living uh, on the grape skins once again did all the heavy lifting. Uh, now do a 12-ounce curl into your favorite fancy drinking glass. Sip, repeat, feel the burn.
1: Andy, did you take offense to that? Because you probably did a lot of heavy lifting to get the grapes in today.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you mean the grapes?
2: Eh, only a little bit. No biggie. Another,
1: another in the ri- snow, barefoot. Another rift between I'm, Andy and his sales team.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm in Colorado bro. Got to get a workout. <laughs> Definitely. And fortunately, I have younger, stronger people than me. So I, so on spontanea, I shoveled the grapes on this one. I did not. I have younger, stronger people and I could ask them to do it.
1: Excellent work. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, one, one, I mean, this, this beer is unique enough on its own, but one thing that struck me about it is you don't see, it's a, it's a dark beer and you don't see a lot of spontaneous, dark beers. You know, you said, obviously not doing it in the Belgian goose tradition and and you know I've heard of Cantillon maybe throwing around the idea of doing a dark beer Um, I don't know if they actually ever did it but you don't see dark spontaneous beer that often did you guys think about that going into this project and how do you think it turned out with the malt bill
2: we definitely thought about this one just because of the previous one that spontanea that we had done one year before because You know, anytime we're doing a grape beer hybrid, we're pretty much counting on that grape harvest. So we have this, you know, one-week period to get the grapes, make the work, do the thing, get it into barrels, and then deal with it. So the one that we—so Spontanea, the previous one, on that one, I'd have to look back, but I'm pretty sure that the malt bill on that was something like two row and wheat. And then it was like, okay, we're going to let the grapes give all the color to it. And it worked really well, but— could we have done that again? Sure. Could we do something more experimental from our end and do a big, richer malt bill and get some color from the malt and some from the grapes? Yes. So in the vein of experimentation, it was like, well, let's let's go bigger and do a bigger, darker malt bill. And, you know, now that I think about it, one thing that, that at Avery we've definitely had problems with is getting completely blonde beers to sour well. Hmm. Um, I've, I've tried. I have a really spotty track record with it. And it's one of those things that we're still, we're still working on, where it just seems like if we throw in even a couple of bags of specialty malts, like you just throw in a couple of bags of honey and a couple of bags of aromatic, and all of a sudden, that thing will sour in four weeks. Cash money on a stick. But I think this was also a chance for us to try, like, well, the previous batch, you know, we know, it was to your own wheat. It didn't go very sour what if we use a bunch of darker malts on there maybe that's giving longer chain sugars and that's giving you know our yeast and bacteria a happier place to be and i think that was part of it too to see if we could actually get it to go really sour and up and and valum actually holds our record for outside one tap room specialty that's on tap right now it does hold the record for the most lactic acid we've created in a beer still working on exactly why it's you know kind of a blessing and a curse in the barrel aging in sour world that anytime you do something and you do some new experiment it's going to take you nine months to a year and a half to figure out what went on and then try to recreate that if you want to recreate it
1: that's interesting i want to examine that for a second with the gold you know or just you know any light colored base malt build that you're not getting the same acidity you know is that across the board is that for your regular you know house bugs house bread strain type beers and is it because, you know, you kind of start with that when you start propagating and then move to darkers, or have you ever done kind of more advanced generations and come back to the lighter beers, or what What are some of your theories about that?
2: I mean, I, I wish I had a better answer for you. At, at this point, all I can figure out is kind of like what I was saying before, where no matter what, you're trying to give your yeast and your bugs the right food, but since it takes nine to 18 months to figure out what that right food is and see if your experiment worked, it can be a little tough like that, so... We have done a number of 4% alcohol blonde beers that have soured pretty well, made a nice amount of lactic, and we've used that to prop up our sour bugs for for other larger sour beers. But anytime I've tried like a 7 or 8% blonde sour beer, it has just failed. And it's, I mean, no lactic acid production, everything dies out. It's not related to IBUs. I don't know what it is. So being a non-chemist, the best guess I can say is like, well maybe the, maybe something in there needs long-chain sugars to, to do its job. And I've generally found that, uh, like Explodus, for example, that one, it basically has a couple bags of aromatic, a couple bags of honey, a couple long-chain sugars in there, and then all of a sudden, six weeks later, we have a pretty solid lactic bomb. And, and I wish I had a better answer for you than that, but this is the experimental nature of what we're all doing. It's the fun, but, man, sometimes it's really frustrating that after 10 years of doing this, there is so much we don't know.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, yeah, and, you know, a lot of it's unknowable. And we get to these spots on the show sometimes where it's like, you know, hey, let's just speculate wildly about this. Because we really do you know, I'm like you, yeah, I'm not a chemist, uh, don't have that background. But, you know, we just, we are trying to just talk about it, talk it out, think it out, and just see, you know see if anyone has any theories on it and it's nice you know we are on there and people are listening to it and people comment mm-hmm. back and they write emails and say oh you know hey I think it might be this or it might be that and it's just nice to we appreciate you you know putting yourself out there sour beer community is really tight and I think it's, it's a, great, uh, a great thing that we can kind of just be open about all of our processes and, and try and move forward together
2: for sure I mean it, it, it's somewhat you. I mean you can only know what you know and if you don't know don't bullshit someone Like, say, hey, I just don't know what happened. You know, I brought this whole thing up to Gwen Conley a couple years ago while visiting uh, Lost Abbey. And she's like, really? We don't have any problem souring blonde stuff at all. I don't don't know what your problem is. I don't even have any theories on this. I'm like, Gwen's really, really smart. If she doesn't (laughs) have any great theories for why I can't sour 7% blonde beer, man, I don't know what to do. So one of these days, yes, I would love to start a battery of tests to try to figure these things out. And, you know, we'll talk again in like five years and maybe I'll have an answer.
1: Sounds good. It's a date. <laughs> all right. Nailed it. Let's, uh, let's maybe edge towards a break, but maybe get to a question.
3: Yeah. Well, so speaking of experimentation and not knowing things, um, this is from uh, Nick Lewis. And both of you don't – this is a weird one. So if, if there's no answer, there's no answer. But uh, Nick, I love weird ones. All right. Well, here comes one. Nick says – I have a question that is not about sour beer per se but rather about fermentation with uh, alternative microorganisms. I recently learned about a yeast used as a model organism called Schizosaccharomyces pombe. It's uh, distantly related to uh, Cerevisiae, apparently. He said it was originally isolated from East African millet beer. Information about its possible use in modern brewing seems pretty sparse. I was wondering if you know anything about the kinds of character it could impart or how it could possibly be used. Have you
1: guys ever heard of this? Schizosaccharomyces Pombe? Who hasn't, Scott? <laughs>
2: <laughs> what did I say about not being a chemist?
1: Yeah, no, I, a chemist. I was just thinking, you know, maybe asking the wrong people, but, you know, what do we say on the show all the time? You know, what, what's the harm and throwing it into a half liter of wort and you know, you tell us. You yeah, know? I think the listeners of the show, home brewers, you know, don't be intimidated because you don't know what a certain yeast is going to do. Go ahead and, and try it out, and then you know, report back to us. This is all, it's just, it. Just goes back to that knowledge sharing thing. People Definitely. are doing. There,
2: there, there are thousands of microorganisms out there that can make the best beer that humanity has ever encountered, and we just haven't found them yet. You know, you you think about the Lambic producers of Belgium. Those Lambic producers happen to occur in those places because that's where, when they open the windows to their cool ship, they let in the organisms, and all of a sudden, you know, a year, all of a sudden, a year or three years later, they had incredible beer. But if you take that exact same brewery, maybe it one valley over, and there's different bacteria in the air, totally different monster. So there's no harm in trying basically everything you can. I mean, what could go wrong, Right,
3: right. (laughs) 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 <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> we tried a spontaneous from spontaneously fermented beer in the alley once at avery adam just came to me he's like hey we we want to try this and i'm like i i don't know man we're right by like three car repair shops and a parkour studio and we're in an alley and i don't know <laughs> And he's like let's just try it so we put some white rascal wort into uh without spices on this one case into Like, I just rigged up this thing where I had, like, 55-gallon plastic buckets, and I put it outside, and I made, like, these, like, roofs for them so stuff wouldn't fall in, like, leaves and rats and stuff. And we let it sit there for 24 hours, and I put it into barrels. And six months later, we had the worst (laughs) fermented beverage you can possibly imagine. It was beyond ethyl acetate. It was beyond pure solvent. It was just horrendous. But, you know, for like five years, I trotted it out anytime anyone was in the brewery. And they're like, oh, man, what's the oldest beer you have in the brewery? And I'm like, old doesn't mean good. And I'm going to prove it to you right now. Here's some crap. And it was, I mean, just pure. It was like it was pure evil. It was the eye of Sauron.
1: A lesson learned there. Did did it? uh, It sucked right from the get
3: go. It sounds like. Did it get worse (laughs) over time or better? Or did it just stay the same? I
2: don't know, it's, it's like, it's so much, it's so black, it's like, how much more black could it be? Right, and the did it, is did it non, get blacker
3: over time? Black. Or, yeah, okay, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> Alright, let's do this quick one more, because that was, um, we were not very helpful on that <laughs> last question. Yeah, <laughs> this is from uh, Matt Munsell. Matt says, thanks for all the awesome information, guys. He's, oh here, Jay, you tell me what this says. Uh, five weeks ago, I started my sour program with two carboys, oh, a pale base. what is that? Because you, you, you did read this and said, good for show. <laughs> do you know what that says? of a Pale Base. Oh, is that it? Okay. Uh, okay. I, Maybe he was, no, let, let's go with
1: O. It's like a uh, it start uh, really good <laughs> column. Yeah.
3: O, oh, a Pale Base, pitched Y. East Uh No, he <laughs> says, I pitched Y. East uh blended one, and then the other I pitched 005, uh, uh, and bottle drags from Prairie, Jolly Pumpkin, Crooked Stave, and Cascade. How long uh, till I get a pellicle, and what should I expect to see in month
1: two? Does it vary? Yeah, that's going to vary pretty wildly i I think the dreg beer would get one sooner it's going to have more mature cultures but they both sound good you know i'm looking forward to how those are coming out uh andy when you when you check on your barrels when are you seeing a pellicle in there
2: i I think i think the methods that we're all using to make beers at least for me like it and it's not like I, i feel like we're doing anything crazy we're you know Adding our souring bacteria, adding our botanomyces, going for a secondary fermentation, but I don't feel like I've ever really seen the kind of thick pellicle that we that i read about in the books. Um, ju- just like with our Pedio strain, which you know we we happen to culture it out of a barrel ten years ago in an accidental sour, and we're like, oh man, it tastes great. We're going to use this. I wonder what it is. We're going to type it, and it's going to be some unusual thing. It turns out to be Pediococcus damnosus. Well, damnosus has a pretty heavy reputation for making a ton of diacetyl and yet our sour beers don't really seem to see a massive diacetyl stage so we're not seeing a massive diacetyl stage we're not seeing a massive pellicle stage where you see a giant thick blob of bacteria on there well we see some matter on there yeah but it tends to be pretty spotty so i would say it's not necessarily a thing like oh man at two months if i don't see a pellicle i've failed it's like no there's so much complexity there and there's so little written about it that none of us really know so your best bet is to taste it a lot
1: Thank it's you. a rough life yeah. <laughs> yeah i think when it comes to different mixed cultures it's to each his own you know they're all going to be different they're all going to have different characters sour at different rates um, but yeah as long as you're taking good notes and relying on your your senses i think you'll be okay but uh that's some interesting stuff about that uh, that PDO isolation. Uh, I want to take a quick break, Andy, but hopefully you can hang on for one more segment. I want to get into the, specific, uh, the specifics of the yeast and microbes you guys have kicking around Avery uh, and just see what information we can kind of glean off what you guys have developed over time. Does that sound all right?
3: I'll do what I can.
1: All right. Well, we'll take a quick break. And be right back on the Sour Hour. Quick mention
3: here for our friends at Brew Jacket. You might have heard the man behind the brand, Aaron, on the session. He has a couple of awesome fermentation-controlled devices, revolutionary devices, if I may say so myself. Go to brewjacket.com. Their products have absolutely crushed on Kickstarter, and for good reason. They might just revolutionize the art of fermentation temperature control in home brewing. Only one way to find out how. Go to brewjacket.com and check them out.
0: Hey, you Nico,
1: know, listen. Our lawyers said that we had to do this for 1 hour and after this we
0: don't have to talk to each other for 3 more months until yeah, yeah, the next meeting. The Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> You can find our world-famous or High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew for Your Dye IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty crack cans. Tasty crack cans.
1: show is rated five stars by Yelp, by the way. <laughs> God,
3: Yelp is ridiculous. I was saying that uh, there are there are quite a few of these uh, reviews uh, of the Grenade and many other businesses, I'm sure. I don't know. I, I doubt very seriously, Andy, that you've ever checked the reviews of uh, Avery on Yelp, but I guarantee you there's a few of these, uh, which are the people that are like uh, uh, the, the, the Avery lineup is uh, stellar. Uh, their beer is second to none. Uh, the taproom staff was attentive, and uh, I couldn't ask for better service. Three stars. <laughs> it's like, what, is, I don't, what the fuck? This is the
2: magic of the internet.
3: Yeah. Yeah. God, everyone's it's, got an opinion.
2: You know, it's okay.
1: Everyone's <laughs> just one tweet or one Yelp review from being very famous. Yeah, I guess that's, so. That's kind of how I feel people write about.
2: There, there are a lot of people out there who want a lot of attention, and if there's a way to get that attention, they might do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. who starts their own podcast? Welcome back to the Sour <laughs> Hour on the Brewing Network Uh your host Jay Goodwin. Oh,
3: now hold on a second. Now I got something to. Say. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, hey, I, as a total, total
2: non sequitur I'd mm-hmm. like to note that uh, I'm pretty happy that while chatting on the phone here, I've been able to listen to Black Alicious and I heard some Guru there. Happy to hear that some hip hop's getting rolled out there. Good I man. I was, I was listening to Flatbush Zombies right before I was turning it down while talking to you guys. <laughs> nice. show.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to uh, to hear any anyone that's got the. Uh, you know, into the underground hip, it's not really underground, but the sort of non-mainstream hip hop. And I, I got to tell you, Andy, there's been people that have written me um, on this show not in a while since I haven't um, put any in to uh, the, the post-production shows. But I inserted like a couple of Jurassic Five songs uh, early on and had people writing me like, man, you know, I thought I didn't like hip hop. I'd written that off as an entire genre, but then what the hell was that that you played? That was awesome. <laughs> so there's still lots of people that have, uh, have yet to discover it.
2: And there's still plenty of stuff coming out now. Yeah.
3: And
2: I'll throw anyone into the into the road of, like, Aesop Rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, Run the Jewels might be a little more extreme, but, hey, I'm a fan. And Flatbush Zombies, they just put out an album. I don't know them very well, but they just put out an album that's, you know, it involves a lot of hallucinogenics and stuff, and I can appreciate that.
3: <laughs> I don't know those guys yet. I'm going to have to look into it.
2: They just put out their debut album, like, a week and
3: a half ago. No. Anyway, total mm-hmm. non I'll come back later. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Jay. Yeah, we'll, we'll call you when we need you. <laughs> but,
1: yeah, you guys are... Uh... You know, peas in a pot. I think uh earlier on our email thread, you know, there was quite a few uh, mentions of the Simpsons uh, yes. as well. And uh <laughs> you guys are geeking out about that. What you're mentioning some random characters, uh you Annie don't remember the <laughs> Mr.
3: Sparkle episode? Uh, Mr. Sparkle. Mr. Sparkle.
2: <laughs> Join me or die. Can you do any less? <laughs> you, just, you gotta trust me, the comedy is goldier, I swear. Look,
3: we got a package from the Mr. Sparkle Company in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you shaking your head, man? It's good stuff. I just
1: I, I I just wanted you to set you were playing it like before the show and, and I, was, I was laughing. You, my I just needed off. to set you up for that. Great episode. Well,
2: there's your answer, fishbowl. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Alright, back to sour beer. Back to sour beer, I guess. Right. Game on. Game on. So, so before the break, uh, and by the way, we answered some questions before the break. Those were brought to you by sourbeerblog.com. Follow along with Dr. Lambic's exploits. Dr. I, Rambic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm not gonna touch that one. Sour beer block. Are you kidding me?
3: <laughs> Did you watch the commercial? Do you at least um, no, I, out of nowhere. No, I
0: know. I got it. Okay. I heard it. Okay, good but well
3: Okay. <laughs> yes. Forgive me. Everybody and please on. forgive me.
1: But yeah, before the break, before all this, you know, in the before time, the long, long ago, we were talking about your uh, your house strains, and I know uh, it sounds like you've got an interesting story about your PDO. Uh, I think there's some interesting backstory to the Brett that you guys isolated. What 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 do you? How much do you know about the Brett and mixed culture that you guys are using? Um, where did it come from, and how does it perform?
2: I can say that we only know a portion about it. I can say that each time we're making sour beer. So, we will talk about the Brett strain first. So, that one. Uh, you know many many moons ago adam did a trip to belgium with uh, tommy and vinnie and sam and rob you know the whole bread pack thing
3: mm-hmm.
2: and adam actually brought back some bottles of dray fontaine from armand and and with armand's blessing he like he brought one of these bottles to our then fledging lab and said hey why don't you grow up what's in what's in this you know and let's just see what happens and we happen to grow up a bread strain out of that um and that bread Strain, which we've then called the Dre Strain, we used in our 15th anniversary beer, so eight years ago. And at the time, I think it was probably the biggest 100% Britannomyces fermented beer, at least that had been done in the U.S. It is our worst rated beer ever because <laughs> at the time, I mean, none of even the, like the hardcore beer geeks knew what things were like. They, they had no idea what they were in for. Um, but all our brewer friends really loved it. So within a couple of months we had like vinnie and tommy and all these other friends asking like hey can we have some of that stuff that you use to ferment that and we're like oh yeah no problem we'll send it out to you and then at, at some point we're like you know what let's just let's just let uh bsi in colorado springs just sell it uh and that way anyone who wants it can get it and i look back a couple of years ago and talked to a bunch of friends and within like three to four years most of the medal winners at the GABF and either experimental or American Brett beers were made with that dry strain, um, which is, which is kind of fun. Like we're, we're proud of that. We could have kept that as our house strain and like, no, let's let it out to the wild and let everyone else give it a shot. And then as a fun side story, a couple of years ago, there was some controversy over like whether the Dre was really Britannomyces or not. And I started to get freaked out. I'm like, Oh man, what's, what's going on to that? So We've had our Dray strain that we've been culturing at BSI for eight years now, I guess nine, Um, we've actually sent that out to two separate third-party labs and had it confirmed as a Britannomyces strain, which is kind of interesting because now there are multiple yeast brokers out there in the world kind of like saying that they have a Dray strain and some have the right one and some don't, which is beyond my chemistry knowledge but kind of interesting, I think.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, just getting back, taking a couple steps back there when you mentioned, you know, medal winners and experimental and Brett Beer having the Dray Strain. Um,
2: I do ramble a lot. That's how I roll. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I would say, I mean, without looking back off the top of my head, you know, we've been lucky enough to win a few medals. I think maybe one beer out of all of those didn't have the Dray Strain in it. So it's, thank you. Thank it you. is
2: a very clean Brett fermenter. It works.
1: Absolutely. We, it's been a it's been a big part of our cellar. I'd say it's in maybe seventy percent of the oak barrels that we have, something like that. I mean we're gonna we're, we change and we get new strains in all the time and mm-hmm. the makeup of the cellar changes, but I definitely don't think the beers that we've made so far would have been as good or you know, as clean as they were without that strain. So, you know, I thank you for that and I think it's 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 a model for the rest of the sour beer community on you know how to act when it comes to you know sharing information not only information but strains because it's going to vary from brewer to brewer i mean you know just heard andy talk about you know the the challenges he's had getting you know gold wart to sour and you know so his microbes are different and mm-hmm. you know even if i had his microbes you know and i was using them they'd be different there too and it, it just changes all across the board so i I'm, I'm i'm happy you guys did that and i think it i think the impact is 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 very, very large in the sour beer community.
3: Well, and th- this is a good um, little uh, aside, which is uh, Matt's email from before the break about his about the pellicle. Yeah. There's a second part to Matt's e- email as it pertains to Brett cleaning things up. Um, he, he said that he, um, hearing you talk about blending, he says he's going to pull a gallon from every future batch of beer he brews and sour or funkify it. He says in the last episode, this was a couple months ago already, but he said Jay was talking about doing batches uh, of only PDO or only lacto but without the presence of Brett, uh, I'm sorry, without the presence of Brett, will there be anything to clean up the off flavors?
1: I think that's in reference to propagating those bacteria. <laughs> so not, not as a standalone batch, because I, I would oh. never, in my mind, PDO is in a, you know, if PDO was on Facebook, it would say, long-term <laughs> relationship with Britannomyces. Okay. That's still a thing, right? Long-term relationship? Uh, mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, well, there's a relationship. It's complicated. It, yeah, I don't
1: know. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's complicated.
2: No, I mean, same thing. We've, we, you know, we have chatted about doing just a stray PDO thing, just to see what would happen. And then at some point, we're just like, ah, you know, we have all these fresh wine barrels in. And we, we want to make sure we're not going to waste those. Let's definitely throw a fresh bread strain in each time and make sure it rolls. Um you know, if if we had a smaller pallet system, would I be totally happy to do a straight lacto, a straight PDO, a straight everything? Absolutely. You know, actually we did a straight hundred percent lacto fermentation years ago back in the alley. Just see what would happen.
1: Crazy shit and, happened in the alley. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh, mean, it was the,
2: like the Wild West. There you was, there you were would no expect laws. You could do anything out there. It's
1: a sketchy uh, alley.
3: It's the alley. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't expect yes. a, a high, high-level intelligent discourse to be happening in the alley.
2: No, very little did. Yeah. I don't know how many Avery employees you've met, but you know, we're very passionate. But I wouldn't say we're the brightest bunch. <laughs>
3: it's all right. You make up for your lack of intelligence with uh, you know the burning fire, delicious yes. beer. Yeah, oh, and the
2: fire. No, we we did 100% of fermentation. Or 100% lacto fermentation, and it ended up making something like, like 1.8 or 2% alcohol, and it tasted like sour milk, and that was mm. it. And it was like, huh, we're doing this wrong, and then we just dumped it, and that was the end of it.
1: Gotcha. I, I, but even even with that, I mean, you know, what, ten years? You, you said you've been going on this uh, this program, and it's like you've been there, you've done that, you've done the experiments. You're still being experimental. It's just so it's so nice to have people like you. Be such an open resource for, for number one, selfishly myself personally, but then, <laughs> you know, everyone else is. I mean, I, I remember. I, I think I actually went to the alley right around the time you did, Scott. And uh, you know, Andy, we've exchanged a few emails in the past and gotten to talk a few times, and always been so helpful. And it, it's just great to see you guys share what you've been doing. Um, you know, th- think that there are a lot of probers out there listening who may be starting a sour program or maybe some home home brewers trying to start their first sour beer do you have any recommendations for brewers or breweries that are new to sour beer
2: i mean that the, the biggest two things i can think about are one time is not necessarily your friend there are certain times in barrel aging where aging something for a really long time might create something awesome but in general a ton more time means that your barrel's drying out more oxygen's going in and all flavors can happen. And sometimes you let your pride get the best of you where you're like, oh man, I sat on this for two years and it's incredible and it's gonna taste awesome and you go to it that way and not an objective way. And all of a sudden you've probably created a barrel of paint thinner. And stepping back from that is really, really hard. And what that kind of dovetails into number two is it's all about that flavor training and figuring figuring out the good from the bad. Just because a beer seems sour doesn't necessarily make it good. Uh, I can't count the number of times over the last decade, and I would never exclude myself from this category. But I can't. I can't tell you the number of times where I've gone and ordered something at I don't know a brewery that's been making beer and they're you know doing some experiments with sour barrels, and I go and try something, and I'm like, and the bartender says, "Oh man, just be careful, it's really sour." I'm like, "That's cool, I can probably take it. I'm a real man." And I get that sampler, and it's not lactic and acetic acid. It's, it's ethyl acetate, which is pain thinner, or it's just you know pure acetone, just all the bad things that can happen. And so getting that training is huge to tell the difference between low levels of acetic acid, high levels of acetic acid, figuring out your preferences and differentiating those from, from pain thinner and from acetone and figuring out what are the good things that people want to taste and that you want to taste. So if you have a solid eye on quality control and that means getting training tasting your barrels frequently like all the time and if it tastes awesome take it out don't don't wait for that rainy day Be like well it's really awesome right now and it's awesome i'm gonna wait another three months and see if it gets more awesomer like no it's awesome take it out and serve it because chances are in another three months it might not be awesome
1: I have some mixed feelings right now cuz I think that's great advice but you know I think I've I've just done a bad job in hosting Scott I have to be honest because <laughs> I was ramping up to my last question and I think my second to last question got the answer for the last question. Uh-huh. And I, Whammy. I I've got to redo my whole list but <laughs> but Andy if you could help if you could bail me out and those were two great examples but if you could either pick one or just come up with a brand new one that would be great. And bail me out. Mm. What do you think?
2: I live to disappoint you.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of disappointing people, what do you think the biggest mistake in sour beer making is?
2: If I were to pick one, I'd say it's I say it's that flavor training where it doesn't mean you have to go spend thousands of dollars on on you know some some outside source to tell you what those all flavors are but we're all brewers we're all trying to do the best we can at any given situation right and whether it's a saccharomyces beer or a sour beer you never know everything so this might get a little long-winded but years ago this is like i don't know seven eight years ago we were bottling a batch of ellie's brown at ellie's or, or, or at avery back in the alley and we were tasting it. And we we're like, man, there's like, I don't know what this is, but something tastes a little different, and I I don't I don't know what's going on, and it just so happened that you know we have a lot of good friends in New Belgium, including Lauren Salazar. and so we called up Lauren and said, hey, we we just we don't know what we're doing, we we give up. Can we send some beer up to your Century program that is so well established and so awesome? Can we send it up and and see what happens? And she's like, absolutely. So we send up a bunch of Ellie's Brown, and within like five hours. She calls back with a result, and she's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's acetaldehyde, and a lot of it. You should dump that. And we're like, wait, I thought acetaldehyde, that was like green apple. She's like, oh, no, at low levels, it's green apple. At high levels, it's like the inside of a raw pumpkin or a Sharpie. Hmm. And so what we learned right there by just thinking about all the beers that we'd put out over the last you know, 10 years – I, I think we had put out a lot of beer with some acetaldehyde in it. When I look back and think about the flavors i had been getting out of some czar batches and some old jubilation batches, and it was there in that in that Ellie's, it's just we weren't trained on it. So we didn't know. And if you don't get that training to know what's wrong with your beer, there's no way you're, you're going to possibly know that, oh, man, this might not really be good because as a brewer – and, you know, I definitely have an ego. I got some pride. And I'm like, man, I never want to dump something. But you got to set aside that pride, get your learn on uh, from from some knowledgeable sources and try to figure out what's going wrong. And the, it's, and the biggest problem with sour beers is that there's not as much literature on it. There's tons of literature on acetaldehyde and diacetyl and trans-2 oxidation. No problem. You can probably learn that. There's not a lot out there on sour beers. So your best bet as a small brewer... Is to go to some larger sour brewer or more experienced sour brewer in your area, and just make some friends and figure out what's going on. And New Belgium helped us a lot with all that, and that's that's helped us a ton. You know, there are a lot of friends in the brewing industry.
1: Just Absolutely, go make some friends. yeah. Yeah, I think, in, you know, the, the, you can see the network being built right now. You know, through the online forums, the you know the show. You know, a lot of examples from uh, Michael Tonsmeyer's book, American Sour Beers, just everyone who's trying to help everyone else out with sour beer. And, and for all the brewers listening, take I, I would double down on Annie's advice in that, you know, yeah, we, we all have ego and, you know, we're uh, not me, but you're making <laughs> good IPA and, you know, uh, you're making, you know, you have a killer imperial stout. I don't make rig- those beers anymore, but you know you're doing that and you're killing it. And- I'm happy
2: about our beer now, but I I would say it took until probably 2009 or 2010 until I could say, okay, now our QA program is to the point where we're making great beer, and we're not releasing anything and sometimes or, uh, releasing anything bad. Sometimes yes, you have to dump a beer, fair, but it took us it took us 15 years of being a brewery to 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 realize. All that. Now, given the brewery's been around for 23 years, but the resources are there now for new brewers to go out there and learn all these things and not make the stupid mistakes that we did for a long time. That's
1: huge. You can have the confidence to to take those first steps, but have the expectation that you know your first batch, your second batch, even your you know your third, fourth, fifth, they may not be good, and don't take that as like oh I'm a bad brewer now. You know, no, you're a good brewer. You know, you're trying to find out about this stuff, you know, and your regular beers are good. This is just, you know, hypothetical brewer out there that I'm talking to. But it's realize you're entering a new realm and a new set of challenges. And, you know, just, you know, I think when you come up brewing, you fail a lot, and then you get some skills and you get good at it. And then you get used to being good at it, and then you try sour beer, and it's like, oh, you kind of go back to to square one, and it's hard. It's a hard (laughs) transition, you know. it's It's a reality check. It's yeah. a
2: whole new world of things that none of us have really learned. I mean, like I said, every year is one of the longest barrel programs running in the country at, what, nine or ten years? That is nothing. That's the blink of an eye. We know so little about it, you know, but we just do the best that we can with QA and making sure we're doing the right thing. Can I say, when I look back from ten years from now, will I be able to say, oh, man, we put out, like, every beer we put out was perfect. You know, I, I, I can't say that. Maybe there are all flavors I haven't learned about yet.
3: Well, exactly. That—that's what strikes me is—is is, uh, the, only the passing of time will tell if this is what's going to happen. But i was was—I've just been thinking of how many parallels there are with me in painting, as, as you guys have had this this discussion. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's just because they're both—you know—one's creating an oil painting, one's creating a, a beer, and it's both an, an art form. But you know, I just wonder if, if over time, it's just inevitable that you're going to look back at previous releases or previous paintings you did and not really be that happy with it because you're three years better than you were when you made that whatever three years ago and i struggle with that all the time with paintings that i you know do it for a friend for a wedding gift in 2012 well now i'm over at their house and i see it and i'm like god fucking damn it can i trade you or something because i'm not but of course they love it but i wonder if that's just an inevitability of of any art form where you're just going to continually evolve and get better and never really be satisfied with the thing you did last year or last decade
2: I think that's true. I mean, but by the time we've released a beer, it's already out of my mind because I'm looking at the next year of releases. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sipping on Rufus Corvus right now. It's that we didn't talk about it today, but it's a beer that I sent you guys. And I'm tasting it right now, and it's two years old. And I'm like, it's a little past its prime. This does not taste as good as it did a year ago. And it's a little disappointing to me, but you know what? As I consider myself an artist, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking towards the next thing. And we have like four new projects in the next year. Six weeks that are going to come out, and I'm so happy about them. Musicians say the same thing all the time. I've, I've read enough things. Uh, I think the last one I read it was uh, Jeff Tweedy from MoCo, where it was a couple of years ago. Someone is interviewing him, and they're like, "Yeah, your album's good, but you know, it's 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 not as good as like a ghost is born." He's like, "Man, I put my heart and soul into this, and I'm trying as hard as I can, and I get it. But take another listen to it. Maybe, maybe this is the best thing that I've ever done." And that's you know there's always that gap between the artist of whatever it is, a painter, a musician, a beer maker, and the and the listener or looker or drinker, and that's it's a really weird gap. It's, yeah. it's very strange. Yeah. Um, I was a film major in college. I wanted to be in sound design and film, so I thought about it a lot. I don't know if I've come up with any good conclusions yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, with with experience comes new skill and. You know, myself, I'm I'm the oldest I've ever been. I don't know about you guys, but
2: <laughs> I was older last. Oh, year. dude, I turned forty in August. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, Andy, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. I want to get you out with with, with one just uh, final quick question. Where can people find uh, not only just the Avery beers in general, which I think are you know pretty ubiquitous, but uh, maybe I'm just lucky being in California, but also the the Sour Programs beers.
2: So. I don't know if I have a perfect answer for you, just because we've been ramping up so much over the last year and a half. Like, as of two years ago, I would have said, "Well, if you want a sour beer from Avery, you have to be either in Colorado or Southern California, um, basically San Diego area, and that was it." Mm-hmm. But since we've been ramping things up so much, I've actually gotten some emails from friends in Ohio, where I grew up, and they're getting some of our barrel-aged stuff and uh, raspberry sour. You know, since we're doing. 280-ish oak barrels every three months
1: yeah
2: that's not a small amount of beer so things keep ramping up and they're 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 not stopping on that ramp so right now i would guess that you could find raspberry sour that we're doing year-round i'm guessing you'd probably find it in 15 to 20 states but you know we haven't quite filled that pipeline of like oh man we can make it all the time it's still like well you got to wait for the beer to be done that's the challenge of sour beers right Absolutely. Um, and the smaller releases, that's a little up in the air, definitely Colorado, definitely Southern California. After that, it kind of goes to Texas and a couple other states, and we kind of wing it from there. It, it's a moving target, which is its kind of the blessing and a curse of being at a large production brewery that's doing 80,000 beer barrels a year, and about 5,000 of that is barrel-aged.
1: Yeah, that's that's quite a bit of barrel aged beer. But if you're in, if you're lucky enough to be in one of those you know fifteen or so states, pick up the raspberry sour, really solid stuff. If you're lucky enough to see some of the smaller batch stuff, that's that was excellent also.
3: Yeah, all of these beers were really fabulous. Thanks for sending them in. And uh, well, thank you, doctors. Much appreciated.
1: <laughs> thanks for coming on the show, Andy. Will uh, Will we see you in uh, Philadelphia?
3: Uh, no,
2: not this year. Um we'll have to wait one of the guys uh, that I JBF. work with has been working with me for five years, and uh, he's never been to a CBC, and I definitely think he should go.
1: All right. Well, we'll see you in the fall for JBF.
2: Yes, definitely. I'll be there.
1: All right. Thanks All right, again, Andy. Andy.
3: Cheers, man.
2: Rock on, kids.
1: All right. Great interview. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. It, and I don't, if, I don't know if it came across uh, while we were talking to him, but we talked you know, uh, off show on the break. These beers were really good. Tremendous. Oh, man. Ten out of like, ten. Solid, just Across the board and you know all these different barrel ages, all these different uh, secondary ingredients really really solid stuff, so Andy knows what he's doing and a lot of just you know with experience comes great advice from a lot of these uh, these guys we do you know we like to have a little bit of a mix we have some younger brewers, and uh, we've been lucky enough to be blessed with the uh, older brewers coming by too, so that was that was pretty that awesome it was a real treat
3: yeah, and I got to figure out how to. How to get past the, the non stop editing, like you guys were saying, you know, you maybe at some point you can just well, yeah, we have this plan, but hey, we're, we're 77% of the way to the plan. But right here, we're this is it, this is the beer, and let's just we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And I get to that point just to go back to the again, all the art forms, there's probably a version of this for any form of art, but I do that all the time too with the painting, where like, yeah. I'm not. Done in my mind, but I got people come in going, that kicks ass. And yeah. I'm like, well, but I'm not. And they're like, no, 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 don't mess with it anymore. And it wouldn't take me. And maybe it's a, not as a great parallel with, with sour beer because you don't necessarily know where it's going to go. Uh, whereas with the painting, I kind of do. But I I really, I, I don't know. Do you feel like that's a skill? Like, did you have to learn that to, to sort of be done when you your taste buds and your panel or whatever told you you were going to be done because i really just want to dig my heels in no i have my plan and i'm not done with this painting
1: sure i mean i think there's a couple of examples in sour beer making that apply one is you know the development of secondary ingredients to an already good base beer so that that's something that is uh, you know it's not super predictable but more predictable than a living thing creating acids and alcohols and, you know, hundreds of other compounds that make a beer taste like beer, you know, if you're just adding fruit or you're extracting from a tequila barrel, you know, that, that happens slowly over time. You check in occasionally and then you say, stop. Maybe it's earlier than you thought because, you know, it's, you have this grand plan and you stop early because that's where you like it. That's one way of looking at it. But another is, you know, and I said this before, our beers are, Pretty pretty good at like four weeks old, two to four weeks old. They're 80% of the way there. And maybe this is the better parallel to your painting. You know, someone might come in and taste the one month old beer and say, Oh, nice. This is solid. Like, you know, why don't you just package this now? And it's because the rest of the 20, I always say it 19%, because it's never 100, but the rest of the 19% come in the next 6, 12, 18 months. And maybe that's where that's that's the parallel with the painting right there where it's yeah. people are like, Wait, what? You're gonna you're gonna age it for how much longer? Yeah. And it's like the detail work maybe and it's painstaking. But the broad strokes people like, you yeah. Know. But I guess that's that's where you wanna push the envelope, is that you care about the details. And while it might be good broad strokes, you care about every little thing and that's what you're gonna be looking at five years from now
3: and i imagine it being somewhat of a fine line because you know i'm picturing most of the folks that maybe if not all uh that are listening to the bn or or this show in particular maybe are tinkerers, right by their nature and maybe the inclination for that personality type is to just never stop never stop tinkering Mm -hmm. right and uh i don't know i guess i'm just I'm not really asking a question. I'm just kind of musing on the uh, never the the endless editing process. You know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we are. Uh, I think my employees would agree. We are endless editors at the Rare Barrel. Sure. I, n- to me, no idea is off the table. No status quo is um, immune from challenge. And you know, I think that that keeps it fresh for us. You know, we it, we can always discover a better way. And the way sour beer is, you know, the nature of it right now. You know, it's kind of going through a revolutionary phase. So, why mm-hmm. be so static in your opinion? So, you know, I'm only going to do it this way forever when things are changing dynamically all the time and we're learning new things. And I mean, just tonight, you know, I'm trying to change my opinions based off of our interview with uh, Andy. So, I'll go back and re listen to the show and jot down some notes and try and improve the process. Just keep, keep chipping away at that big project.
3: All right, well, you think you can, uh, when you re-listen to this final segment we're about to do,
1: we're gonna, you're going to hear some uh, some questions and your own answers, because I, I got a bunch of questions to get Oh, to. yeah, I'm going to lay down some gems coming up <laughs> right after we take a quick break. This is the Sour Hour on The Brewing Network.
0: Every time Ninkasi Award winner and Grandmaster Judge Gordon Strong invites you on a guided journey of what's new in the world of homebrewing. Modern homebrew recipes, exploring styles and contemporary techniques available now from Brewers Publications. Gordon brings you specific advice and sensory profiles for as-brewed award-winning beers with delicious variations to get your creative juices flowing. This is more than just a book of recipes, it sets brewers on the path to discovering what's new in the world of homebrewing. AHA director Gary Glass says if you want to enter competitions or just learn more about styles that you might not have experience with, this book is going to help you tremendously by emulating what Gordon does, you're going to make better beer. Modern Homebrew Recipes, Exploring Styles and Contemporary Techniques by Gordon Strong. Available right now from BrewersPublications.com and find brewing retailers near you.
1: This is a good-looking bottle. We're back with some beer, some rare barrel beer. Right. Uh, as mentioned in the uh, last hour, last show, our uh, first club release, The Ambassadors mm. of Sour. Quite something. Release number one. It's, it's quite something, literally. That's the name. Golden Sour Beer Aged in French Bordeaux Barrels, which is, uh, I think, our first uh, wine barrel-aged bottle release. Like a impactful wine flavor. So what's up with the, uh, the zip tie around the neck of the bottle just to designate something. Well, I brought in in a box, uh, full of other beers Aha. for someone else. Ah, that's a club member. So
3: was it th- this was mixed into the Hollywood uh, mm-hmm. bunch.
1: Got it. Yeah. So, you know, and to make sure I didn't steal any of his beer, I think there's some of those in there, but, uh, yeah, it's drinking well. I just, just excited to get the, uh the new barrel barrel forward characters not that this is like overwhelming but it's it's just a new mix you get a little bit of the yolk you get the yeah. the Bordeaux wine and just just uh, a nice blended golden sour base to kind of show those off
3: <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, yeah
1: it's definitely so it's got a little
3: um, it's got a little bit of the um, the sort of forces character I guess that's just the golden the golden character and then but it's got something else that's that Bordeaux barrel. That's sure. not unlike anything I've tasted in any of your releases so far.
1: Yeah, we don't have a lot of oak in a lot of our beers, so this is a nice showcase of oak. But, mm. um, again, you know, it's it's subtle. I, I would call this drinkable and complex at the same time. Yeah, that's which what it is. It, you know, it's a, that's a hard uh, needle to thread, but, it, it, you know, it's something we wanted to try for.
3: It's quite something. Tell you oh, what. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, All right. Uh, Daniel uh, Kazik's question is quite something. He says, if mm-hmm. I use your blonde recipe from Episode 2... Yeah. The Wayback Machine here. Um, with uh, my Brett PDO Lacto Yeast Cake, will primary fermentation take longer compared to a two-row and crystal grist due to more complex sugar profile, or will primary complete around the same time? He, he's looking for faster, complete fermentation.
1: Hmm. I think uh, what, what we've seen is terminal gravity being reached sooner in beers without uh, specialty malts, um, but... You know, just because you reach a terminal gravity doesn't mean the beer is done. It, it, that's true of all sour beers, but, you know, it's it's going to require aging past the point of of a terminal finishing gravity. So I would say, yeah, the goal is probably going to be a little bit quicker if we're going lightning round.
3: Okay. Uh, here is uh, Nicholas uh, Dacey. Sorry if that's wrong, Nick. Uh, he says, uh, hey, Scott, love the show. Listen to every episode. Your discussions have improved my sour beer making on the homebrew scale dramatically. Yours? My my and, sour beer making, yeah, yeah. it's improved dramatically. Your discussions, he's thanking you for. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, he says, "Hey, Scott." Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my constant parallels to like oil painting and cars yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it's, this, this is. See, yeah, I put it into layman's terms yeah. for guys like Nick. Yeah, oil painting is real layman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks, Nick. I'm glad your beer's better. He said, "I was wondering about um, blending with beer uh, that is uh, that is in a bag in the box container." Has Jay ever tried that before? He says, I've heard explanations on how to go about the, uh, go through the blending process, but I'm interested in what could be different about the beer in a bag. Are there viable yeast cultures in there? Would the beer even be any good to package again in a bottle?
1: Boy, I don't, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know what bag in a box. You're not familiar with
3: that? Yeah, no. I don't know what that is either. I was just, just assume you know everything. Oh, God, no. No. Bag Hang in out. the box. I mean, I'm assuming it's just that, like, um, like the Franzia wine or whatever, right? Just a sack of beer in a box, I guess.
1: Oh, so it's finished beer. He's not. I, not a home I don't know. Thing. I,
3: if you don't know, then we can uh, Nick write in and clarify what that is.
1: Yeah, we've if, been, we don't know. We got people trying to sour uh, beer in bags and boxes and kegs of Bud Light, and it's like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, See, that's what
3: I mean. They're tinkerers.
1: They are. They are. They are tinkerers. I, you know, in theory, you know, all you need is sugar and maybe. You know, I don't know if this is home brewing or finished beer, but. one thing I've always thought was a good idea is uh, extract batches. So for those of you who are not all-grain home brewers, doing extract batches with uh, brett and bacteria, I think, leaves a lot of... It takes kind of the bad part of extract brewing out of the equation because you kind of don't know how many uh, unfermentables are in each uh, extract, malt extract, and... The good thing about the sour beer is it's going to take care of that all for you. You may not be able to predict it as much as an all-grain brewer, but I, I like the idea of doing, you know, uh, you know, 50% uh, pale malt extract, ultralight, whatever, more beer, and then get the, uh, the wheat extract, which I believe is like some percentage of wheat and some percentage of pale malt. It's not 100% wheat. And, you know, blend those together, boil it up, add no hops, cool it down. Put your you know propped up dregs in there and hit the ground running. That's gonna. I think that would make a great sour beer. Uh,
3: before we get back to the uh, email questions, um, did yeah. you? Uh, forgive me if I missed it. Did you talk about how you treat these Bordeaux barrels for quite something?
1: We bring them in fresh from the winery. Yeah. Um, if if we're worried about quality, which I almost never do with fresh wine barrels because they're just in perfect condition. Um, if you were bringing in fresh barrels and you were worried about that kind of thing, I would swell the heads. Um, so what you do there is put the barrel uh, on its head, the circular part, and then the part that's exposed, that's uh, facing the ceiling, you top with water, leave it overnight. If it's still there the next day, that head is swollen, flip it over, do it the same for the next one until both are ready to go. You won't mitigate all the leaks on the staves, but I'd say 80-plus percent of the leaks you're going to get are on the head. So if the head's swell, you're ready to fill and you do it without introducing m- much, of any, water to the inside of the barrel, which is what you want to preserve.
3: And so um, your your normal potassium metabisulfite mixture, that's when you want to strip everything from the barrel, and in this case you didn't? Is that right?
1: I wouldn't say strip. It's just more of a preservative. So it's fighting off mold, um, okay. mold growth. You know, if you just leave water out, you know, it'll probably get some mold growth on it. But this is just, you know, we're just... Taking it from a winemaker, emptying it, and then just refilling it as fast as possible. With okay. Beer. Yeah. Got it. But, uh, yeah, just b- before the next question, just while we're on uh, a little bit of a haze from answering questions, I want to thank one of our sponsors for uh, renewing their sponsorship in this episode, too. The Wine and Hop Shop at WineandHop.com. God bless them. They bring you this show. They are carrying Omega Yeast and Giga Yeast. Two great E slabs, Check them out. Great for sour beer stuff, and there, are, you know, most of those items are going to ship within 24 hours. BN listeners get a flat eight dollars shipping rate on orders under 50 pounds. Just enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. The Wine and Hop Shop, Wineandhop.com. dot com. Boom! It's like you've been practicing that or something. That, this time I just read it. Usually I just you know, <laughs> okay. go from memory.
3: Yeah, thanks uh, to the Wine and Hop Shop. Thank you to uh, all you guys out there for um, supporting them because uh, they're back because you uh, were with them from the beginning. So keep it up, and uh, thanks again. So this is now from uh, Outlandish. Casey uh, is his name, and uh, he says, uh, My dearest Sour Hour, I wanted to get to this guy's uh, email for sure because he says that um, he finds himself alone in the rain, wondering if you not responding to my letters has become a ploy in order to get me to listen to each and every show with hope plus anxiety. Yeah, it is, Casey. And now that yes. we're answering your question, you can tune the hell out. Scott, talk, Scott and I talk <laughs> about you on a nearly weekly basis. Hey, should we not? We shouldn't do Casey's email this week, <laughs> should we? Yeah, we are. are we doing it right now? No, I thought it was it. Uh, he says uh, he'd like to hear about the times throughout Jay's career in sour beer that his paradigm was shattered. I feel like I went through my whole life never hearing the word paradigm. When the Giants won the World Series. Uh,
1: <laughs> that was number one, but...
3: Uh, yeah uh okay it's um, I from home brewing to the brewery uh, to the rare barrel to the sour hour um, for myself, um, it must have been introducing bacteria into primary fermentation for whatever reason uh, I'd been taught that beer goes through primary with sac and secondary long-term aging with critters. wondering what discoveries either shattered or shifted um, the way your programming
1: goes mm, wow, Something come to that's... mind? yeah i yeah a whole podcast worth <laughs> um boy i guess you know we we made uh beers at the brewery and we had kind of four flagship sours and um you know sometimes the the base fermentations would start going off in different directions and show variations and um you know when you have that you want to replicate you want to rein those in sometimes and kind of go towards a a middle ground and i think something that i looked forward to at the rare barrel was um you know shattering the paradigm of having any flagship beers at all you know just let it you know just let the beers go wherever they're going to go and then build something off of that and i think that's defined a lot of the way we make beers but I mean you you look at the breweries beers and they're absolutely world-class and there's nothing wrong with that and not everyone can have a sour beer program where you can just go willy-nilly and brew beers and not know what brand they're going to be and just kind of wing it to to a certain extent but the fact that we built our program like that from the ground up um, was something that you know I, I always wanted to do and we continue to do and It's just a lot of open source and uh, community-based how how we make beer. It's kind of like, I don't know, decentralized also. You know, I I can give my direction when I can, but I'd rather it come up organically or by consensus or by experimentation. You know, I think all that is good, and, you know, we don't don't know where sour beer is going to go, so let's keep an open mind for everything. I don't know if that answers the question, but... And then the Giants, of course. That, that was... Hey, it's an even year, man, 2016. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Just saying. It's our year. Again. <laughs> um, all right, so continuing the lightning round here. This is uh, from Tim. Tim says, in a recent episode, Jay mentioned um, that they have reduced the amount of sulfur in their barrel uh, storage solution uh, because of sulfur in the product. Um, I have noticed huge sulfur with the originally prescribed solution. How, how long does the rare barrel need to wait before these bottled products have diminished to acceptable
1: levels? Well, good question. I'm glad you brought this up, actually, because, yeah, the the original sulfur solution came from just kind of commonly used winery ratios. You know, I, you know, all of our BRCs, oak barrels, we take a lot of practices from wineries. I think maybe in wineries and winemaking, sulfur... A little bit left over is not such a bad thing, um, you know. I think some winemakers add some type of sulfur to their wines as a preservative, yeah. um, and maybe wine can stand up to it more. But uh, yeah, just over time, we found in beer we could notice the barrels that had been treated with the potassium made metabisulfite, and it did age out. But he's talking about a bottle that—that's where it gets tricky because if we tasted a barrel that displayed kind of like too much of this flavor for our taste then we just left it out of the blend so it you know never really got to the bottle level that's where it gets tricky because obviously a bottle is is capped and sulfur is a volatile compound and some sulfurs um and you know in an oak barrel that can be driven off over time uh and volatilized but in a bottle you know you, you you possibly could have trapped it in there already. So, so that's, that, I mean, those are some of the reasons why we kind of have tried to get sulfur out of our program completely. I don't think a lot of—we bre- invested heavily into an ozone machine and barrel cleaning system. Very expensive. I don't think a lot of breweries, you know, who don't have a as large of a barrel program as we do, that doesn't make sense as an investment. So I think using New Belgium's kind of reduced rate uh, is a sensible way to go about it. But I think even then we got— sulfur transfer to some of the the end product and i think you just got to be careful to age it out beforehand and just do an excellent job of rinsing it out uh before you put the beer in there at all and one one thing one other thing i'll just add is the sulfur that comes from potassium made by sulfite is not the same sulfur that can be produced in sour beer fermentations so sometimes you'll get like some h2s off flavors rotten eggs just kind of like you know you cook hard boiled eggs and you start peeling them just that kind of like mm-hmm. not necessarily rotten just like Eggie. that's yeah that smell that yep. eggy smell and you know sometimes a barrel that's been treated with potassium made metabisulfite i feel like it's not a hospitable environment for the new yeast and bacteria you put in there if you don't rinse it out well enough so and if it's not a vigorous fermentation, it's not blowing off that sulfur. A lot of times, you'll be smelling that sulfur and thinking it's potassium metabisulfite when it's really not. So tricky, tricky. The uh, obviously best practice is to empty a barrel and fill it back up right away. Um, but if you're going to do potassium metabisulfite, just be really careful to have some excellent rinsing equipment. Um, it's not just—it's not good enough just to slosh some water around in there or fill it up and dump it. It's got to be pumped in at high speed and just rip out of the pores of the barrel so it's hard it's a it's a constant challenge for sour beer brewers to keep their barrels in good working order um if you don't care about that and you want to you know let her rip go back and listen to the troy casey episode and see his views on it you know he takes the opposite view of you know he finds mold in a barrel whatever boil some water slosh it around no big deal but i'm not you know, not putting any sulfur in my barrels and keeping them dry. And if they grow mold, then I'll kill it and put beer in there, you know. Beer's going to outcompete the mold. He makes great beer. So yep. you, if you're if you're really worried about sulfur, that's a good way to to try and avoid it. Okay. Did, did uh, Casey win any medals at uh, JBF last year? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. either. But his, <laughs> you are trolling right now. <laughs> okay. But his beer is world-class yeah it is it's totally yeah hard. you are I, I you are alienating oh no please <laughs> casey's brewers is troy incredible. if you're listening yeah <laughs> i didn't say that and your beers are awesome they legitimately are. and when you send next time you can come on the show first off yell at scott and second <laughs> you can send the beer to jay no, at the please barrel. please just direct to the brewery <laughs> No, troy's beer is incredible um, actually, I had some varieties that I had
3: not had. Um, I think he sent in maybe like three varieties when he did the show. Mm-hmm. And then I had uh, more at uh, Firestone's Invitational uh, last year. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I've yet to have a, a miss from him. They're all incredible. So good. Love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so continuing on the uh, lightning round here, a couple more. Here is, uh, uh, Bjorg Uh, I think Um, Mm -hmm. he's uh, from Sweden. He writes in. This is not a question, but uh, more on the hot beer thing quickly. (laughs) Um, He says, I know you guys have discussed hot beer and it seems strange and unpleasant. He said he was blown off his chair with the Leafman's Gull Creek, which we've that has all been suggested by Mm -hmm. another person who wrote in as well. He said it's awesome cold, but it's even better hot. Try it. Blown off his chair. So, uh, you What's, know, so, where's the question? There. Word to the what? No question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no question. Just wanted to uh, get that in there. Okay. Next. Here is question about the golden recipe, which is um, apropos, as it were, because we're drinking quite something. This is from Brock. Yeah. He says, "Hey there, my name is Brock. I'm a huge fan of the show. Uh, only on episode nine, but I'm okay. But I'm hooked. here's my question. I'm, uh, the golden." Ale recipe from Jay. He outlines a few different yeast blends that he recommends. I wanted to see what y'all thought about pitching ECY Bug Farm instead. You know what that is? Yeah, I sure do. All right. I'm also thinking about adding some bottled dregs from some prairie sours. He says he lives in a tiny town. Sours are hard to come by, and brewing supplies are even more hard to come by, which it's uh, Abilene, Texas. Um, he said, mm-hmm. I haven't had the opportunity to try any rare barrel, but he hopes to someday. So what do you think about pitching ECY Bug Farm?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really popular mixed culture from uh, our friend Al Buck out East Coast East. Oh, East Coast East, East yep. Um, and... You know, I, I've enjoyed a lot of the aromatic qualities that have come off of that. Sometimes when we have that beer, the pediococcus strain in it produces a decent amount of diastole, more than the other versions or mutations or whatever you want to call it, of pediococcus damnosus that we have from other sources. Um, so, you know, I, and I, I remember actually emailing him back and, and letting this stuff too, but no. uh wanted it to be on the show as well. Um, you know, I think... Uh, What's the second thing he was going to add?
3: Oh, uh, that
1: was uh, uh, bottle dregs from Prairie Sours. That's a great idea. I love that idea. Uh, Prairie makes great beers, uh, unless there's some mitigating factor there with their bottle conditioning yeast. But you can check uh, Mike Tonsmeyer's blog, um, Mad Fermentationist, for a big old list of you know breweries and bottles that you can get bottle dregs out of. Um, but yeah, the, that, that's my only caution about the the bug farm is that I've seen. Uh, a decent amount of diacetyl produced from it uh from time to time but i will say if my seller manager uh mike macrus was here he would be saying no absolutely grow a bug farm i love it he's he's all about it it's like his favorite mixed culture strain so i'll uh put that plug in for him and uh, here's one final question
3: um for this show this is from eric from south orange new jersey said, hello, guys. On a few episodes, Jay has mentioned the need for blending sours to achieve better flavor profiles. As a home brewer without much space to dedicate to multiple fermenters of a single brew, do you have some recommendations for types of sours that do not, quote, require blending? I don't mind having two or three carboys aging together for a blend, uh, but to get a pipeline of sours going, that will add up to a lot of carboys quickly. Recommendations for types of sours that would are better with no blending? Tasty ones. I guess <laughs> is, it just, is it just by taste? Is there no real like kind of rule of thumb
1: uh beers to to brew that don't necessitate blending? What what about I mean, it's this? it's kind of like the, 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 for me blending is adjusting to the unexpected. So to predict the beer that doesn't need blending is almost a level of mastery in sour beer um right there so you'd have to be able to like manipulate all these different variables and have a good grip on your system versus other people's how to treat the different yeast and bacteria. Um, one that won't. L- let, me, let me float this by yeah. you. So, yeah,
3: yeah. so w- the, the more complex the base beer, the, le- the less likely to require blending for a complex final product. Is that fair to say?
1: Maybe. But, I, you know, as we're talking more about it and I'm thinking more about it, I, I guess maybe a solution could be a Solera system. So basically, you're not blending. You're starting with your first batch of sour beer. You take a certain portion out, 70%, let's say. Maybe that goes into the other carboy. Then you add more either beer or wort to the original, and then that's your second batch. And you keep doing that over and over again. And you're coming out with different batches of sour beer until you learn more about it. And you're not really blending because you're using one vessel as long as you're packaging the other ones. And then you just have different versions of it. And when you need to go, you know, over time, bacteria will probably outcompete the yeast. You'll get too, too sour of beer, not enough aromatics. That's when you can do things like um, manipulate how much oxygen you provide. So I provide more for the yeast. How much uh, hops do you have in the beer? Higher IBU beers will inhibit certain bacteria to make the beer less sour. Or you could even add more yeast, you know, to kind of reset it back to the beginning and then just try and dial in it over time. So... The Solera is a way to, I guess, blend on an ongoing basis. Um, That's that's probably what I would recommend.
3: Well, and he, he, he did specify his concern being space rather than time. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, if it, if the time thing is not because I I was kind of reading the question between the lines as I just kind of want like a a one step thing like I brewed this base I pitch this and then I have a, the best chance for drinkable end product that doesn't require blending I think but he only he only addressed I'll, I'll answer space. that.
1: Saccharomyces primary fermentation with a lot of leftover sugar so high mash 002, something like that um, Dupont like if you let it stall out that strain is notorious for stalling out just let it stall out and then pitching dregs sour beer dregs that you've collected and been continuously growing up for two to three months and that smells and tastes good you have the high sugar content beer you pitch in the dregs it's all first generation but that's your best chance for success for a balanced sour beer i'd say all right best of luck eric boom nailed it boom and that music means we're all out of time. Yep. I think we've been out of time.
3: B yeah. has <laughs> Be- <Bevo's> been like <laughs> packing up for an <laughs> 20 she's, minutes.
1: She's got a bitter beer face on <laughs> right now. All right. She's actually cleaning she a, her keyboard right yeah. now with a one of those air guns. Compressed things. air. Yeah. Yeah, and she did. <laughs> you Yeah, and, and she just looks lovely.
0: Don't judge me. My computer was dirty. <laughs>
3: yeah, right. You're just trying to get high huffing that stuff, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks to Andy Parker, great beers, chief barrel herder for Avery Brewing Company. Excellent, excellent beers. Uh, thank you to all the listeners who uh, wrote in with questions. And uh, thanks thanks for, uh, to just the Brewing Network for being a great host of the Sour Hour as a show with all the other great shows you have, you know? Dr. Homebrew, Brew Strong. Oh. For you a know. second, I yeah. thought that was just a compliment <laughs> to with me. That, I, was oh, about to
3: be, I was about to be like, thanks, dude. dude. We're happy session. to have you. No, it's a library. To
1: yeah, but that was pretty good. Pro. That was good. That, that was. was Andy, I didn't even know you were doing one. There you go. I know. I, I'm just dropping. I'm going to I'm gonna drop some, you know, pro, I'm listening to other podcasts, dealing with other things. I'm going to try and impress you over these last uh, next few Mission months. Mission accomplished. All right. We'll see you guys next time on The Sour Hour.